Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and beer doesn't make everything better. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we are the Drunk Guys, and for this month, it's February, it's Black History Month, and we're going to do a book by a black author each month. So we're doing Richard Wright's Native Son, super famous book published in 1940, and uh, I think we need to start with a beer. This is called Deadly Combination, and it is by Barrier. It is a New England-style India Pale Ale, 7.4% alcohol. And let's just say in the book, drinking plus white girls plus systematic racism, it's a deadly combination. (laughs) At least some of the time, yeah, this time. And it's pretty good, yeah. It's not uh, as juicy as the juicy ones I'm used to now, but, you know, it's still pretty good. So Native Son is the story of Bigger Thomas. And he lives in Chicago in the 1930s, and he is he's 20 years old, I believe. 20, yeah. And yep. He lives with his mom and his two siblings, younger siblings. They are ridiculously poor, and he it starts off, I mean, the first very first scene is I'm trying to kill a rat in their apartment that's the size of a small Filipino man, this rat. It's ridiculously large. It's very large. specific. <laughs> it's a very specifically <laughs> large rat. <laughs> and um, they you know, eventually kill the rat. And you're like, that was interesting. And the whole, the book is divided into thirds. They're called Fear, Flight, and Fate, which I had to say now because after a few beers, I won't be able to pronounce them in a row like that, <laughs> that's clearly. And for book one, Fear, it basically, the first half of it is him kind of like hanging out with his buddies who are a bunch of other like ne'er-do-wells. Like they occasionally rob people for money. They don't really want to hold down a job. They just kind of hang out and... He then, I mean, that's like the first, I don't know, 50 pages of the, 60 pages of the book. I'm like, where is this going? Quite a bit. With uh, his buddies G.H. and Gus. Big Wimpy. I forget the other Jack. one's name. But then his mother, oh, from the beginning, is like, you're going to take that job, right? He's like, yeah, I'll take that job. And he's like, I don't want to take that fucking job. And he kind of mulls it over, goes to the movie theater. So one of those guys, I forget which one, and jerks off in the movie theater for a scene I really, I, I just really don't do. know. They all jerk off in the movie yeah. theater. I don't know what the point of that scene was. That was actually not in my version. Well, that was cut out. As I read that it was cut out of some versions. It's actually not in my version. So. Oh, weird. It was cut, so. This was a huge, huge bestseller, but they did edit it a little bit for like it was like I don't know if it was like the book of the month club or kind of yeah, sort of cut thing out, back in the they club. cut out like you know naughty things though. I don't know. <laughs> they must have cut out a lot. <laughs> he has a lot of shit, but but I don't understand the point of that passage. Like they go to the movie theaters, like. I mean, he's kind of, he's, I found him really frustrating in the beginning of the book because he's like, I have a quarter. And it's also, it's really funny that the mom is like, he's like, I need car fare money, meaning like the street car. And she's like, here's a quarter. And he's like, oh, good, I'll have enough left over to go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go to the movies and then they jerk off. And then they're like, all right, let's move. I don't want to sit here anymore. It's covered in jizz. He said, I'll, he said, I'll have nowhere to put my feet. <laughs> it's all sticky here. I mean, maybe you just had the wrong kind of friends growing up, Mike. No, I, I didn't hang out with Pee Wee Herman. Who just, just that jerk was a off porn theater, theaters. you know? What, what do they expect? This was That's a true. regular I mean, theater in this book. It was like they were watching a normal movie. But wasn't the 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 family he's going to work for in the movie or something? Or they're in like the newsreel? They were in the newsreel before the movie. Mm. I was confused by that. I was like, they're in the movie? But newsreel makes sense. The newsreel of the high society of Chicago. So eventually they go to, he goes to take this job. 
after like going back and forth and they're they're planning to rob the grocery store that's run by a white guy and this is like a really big deal because they never they've only ever robbed black people before and this would be like crossing some sort of line foreshadowing and then he decides not to by like fighting with one of the guys and i felt like this going on for a long time it must have been important he himself is pretty scared of actually going through with it and he kind of wants the other guy to be the first one to pull out so that he could say oh now we can't do it but then the guy agrees to it so instead they just get into a fight and he leaves because he doesn't really want to do it because he doesn't go through with shit and also because it's absurdly dangerous well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're like, the cop will be down the block. Yeah, I'll like, whistle oh, and you'll leave. Like, that's, this is a bad plan, dudes. Yeah, terrible plan. So he kind of weasels out of it. But, like, this whole part, and we'll talk about it in the end of the episode, I think, but was could have just not been there. But So then he goes yeah. to the Dalton's house, the super rich people on the, the rich side of Chicago, whatever that is. North side? I don't know anything about Chicago. I've never. No clue. Yeah, I don't know either. The purpose of writing the book was to basically, as uh, for Richard Wright, the author, to really illustrate what it was like for someone who was black at that time in America, and especially who lived in the south side of Chicago. And so in, I think in probably in the first part where the, the you know, bigger, he only, he's 20 and his friends are about the same age, and they just kind of like have nothing. They literally have nothing to do. I think that's kind of what he's saying. Besides, go to the movies and masturbate and then go commit crimes. But then another way is that when he's finally like, okay, I'll go take the job. You know, you later, you don't, he doesn't say what the job's going to be. You later find out he's going to be a chauffeur for a really rich family. Not exactly sure how we, how we got this job or. It was through some sort of relief program. Yeah. It is the Great Depression. But when he goes there, he, when he goes to this rich neighborhood, he's suddenly like, he's suddenly like afraid because what he's thinking in his mind is, Everyone is going to think I'm either a criminal, I'm here to rape or murder. That's what everybody is going to think when they see me here because I'm a black person out in the street in this rich place in Chicago. And there's a name for it. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. It's that, you know, really rich Chicago suburb. Chi-town. Suburb. Oh, Um, the name of the town. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. Chicago Heights. Heard heard about it before, but... uh, And then... When he goes in, when he when he goes into the house, he like knocks on the door and they let it and they like, oh hi, I'm here about the job. I'm like, oh come in, and everybody's extremely nice to him, but there's clearly an element of like culture shock almost because he doesn't he 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 can't like relate to them, <laughs> or and they try and relate to him, but they also have a very hard time of it. He can't even like walk through the door of the house. Like the 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 maid woman opens the door, Peggy, mm-hmm. and she's kind of standing to the side. She's like, "Come in," and he's like, "I have to like walk past her." Like, That's weird. I mean, it's like, wait, I have to go in the front door. It's like they've I've never been asked to go into the front door of a white person's house before. And he's like, uh, "What?" And and he's basically like afraid the whole time. Like, what is this? What is going on? Even though everyone is being like so nice to him. I'm like, oh, how about, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, and they, the job itself, I mean, I have, sounds like it paid really well. And they gave him a room to live in. For a very little work. Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty sweet gig. It was a pretty sweet gig. And they said, oh, you know, the previous chauffeur, we paid for him to go take night classes. And then he ended up getting like a degree and he ended up getting an education. 
And now he has a job in the government. He has a job in the government. The and that the owner, Mister Dalton, like he gives, he gave five million dollars to what was it, a college or something like that? I think it's just collectively he has but all sorts of different things he gives money to. Five million dollars in nineteen thirties was an extremely large amount of money. That would be, I don't know, like fifty million today, more. You, you, you could probably times it by like 15 to 20, and that would probably be accurate. Yeah. So it's like... They're super it's they're like super loaded. Million dollars. Well, he owns like a sizable chunk of Chicago. He's a real estate guy. Including the house where Bigger lives. Or the, the, shitty, the like, tenement, tenement that Bigger lives in. Yeah, jinx. <laughs> the one-bedroom apartment that he shares with, you know, his mother and two siblings. That is infested with rats. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So he takes it there, like the guy, and then the guy's daughter comes in, and she just like talks to Bigger like he's a one of them, sort of like she doesn't really speak down to him, and he's just so unnerved by this. Like he has, he is just unnerved everywhere. He's just like displaced. Like he doesn't understand anything anymore. You know, he had in his mind, and he keeps he keeps kind of thinking about it in random passages up to this point about like way the world works and the way white people act and the way white people treat black people and all that. And now he's like, oh, fuck, and this, is, this is not what I thought. This and these confusing. are people who are actively trying to not be racist, except they're having a difficult time of it. But he also, he feels so weird about it. Like, he, he doesn't know how to be bigger, doesn't know how to behave either. And he just goes along with the, you know, with the whole yes, sir, no, sir. Though everyone does call him boy. Yeah. So Though, uh, Actually, yeah. Not, maybe, maybe the Daltons don't call him boy, but still throughout most of the book everyone just calls him boy the whole time so i don't want to make excuses for the racist people in the book but he is young so i don't know i mean it, it does look it looks fucking horrendous but they're like the give it to even the people who aren't um speaking to him disrespectfully like when he sees the news reporters much much later in the book they're like oh can the boy talk can we talk to the boy i mean you would think that in their life on the beat chasing down stories They've interacted with black people before. They might be a little more open-minded or something. I don't know. But it just, it just, it just is a terrible, <laughs> terrible look for the book. I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. So we'll zip through a little just to skip. Thing. He's got to take his first job of the day is to take the daughter. Which to, is that night. Which yeah, is that like, night. hey, first gig, okay, you've got the job. School. Why don't you start right now? So he's like, take the daughter to school. And he's like, okay. So she gets in the car. And he's like, we're not going to school. Take me to this place. We're going out on the town. She says that. Yeah. And he's like, okay, because he feels he's got to do whatever she says because he works for her. But uh, they're going to instead go out and get a little midnight sauce. (laughs) Even though it's like 9 p.m. This is midnight sauce from Fifth Hammer. It is a Belgian dark strong ale. 9%. Oh, mother of God. (laughs) If I told you... Belgian dark strong ale. It tastes exactly like that kind of clovey Belgian that the way have. Super, super, super sweet. Quite sweet. A little bitter afterwards. Maybe that's the dark, like it's roasted or something. But it, it's potent. This is quite a beast. Hmm. It tastes stronger than it even is. Like 9%. <laughs> that's like, uh, it's like a double IPA these days. This is only 9%. That's but true. It, it feels like... It feels like 12 or 13. I don't know. Like, whew. It's got a kick to it. I dig it, but goddamn, this is a beast. Okay. Props to you, Fifth Hammer. We don't have a lot of them. 
on this podcast because their names aren't usually super crazy, but they're not far from where I live. I've been to the brewery a bunch of times. It's a cool place. It's a cool place, yeah. The only one I remember, the last one I remember, I think we had Strudel Goblin at one point. I think that was from them. Sounds about right. That's right. And I know we did one stout from theirs on War and Peace. That's all I could remember right now. So, um, yes, so he goes, we're not going to the college. We're going to go pick up my boyfriend, Jan, or is it Jan? I don't know how to pronounce it. I have to assume it's Jan. It's Jan. Yeah. And uh, Jan is a flaming red communist. <laughs> and but like he's for like, real. Here's... <laughs> like, like, yeah, not like, like in the... You know, not Yeah, not like what, what a Republican calls a person they don't like. Like he's, he's actually a communist. And he, uh, they, they go and, and Jan and the daughter's name, I fucking don't even know what her first name is. She's Miss Dalton most of the time. It's not Mary. Is it Mary? Mary. Mary. Yeah, yeah it's, Mary. it's Mary. Sure, why not? They like immediately like get right in the front seat next to. Oh no, it's like Jan wants to drive, right? And they kind of like take over and they guys like I fucking don't know how to say no to you. I don't know. Am I allowed? Yeah. To? So yeah, whatever you say. And, and he's Jan so shakes his hand, which he's never shaken a white dude's hand before. And he's right. Fucking confused by this, and he starts talking about you know well. You know, as a as a communist, he keeps saying, you know, we're going to bring this amazing socialist future. This in the in the socialist future of tomorrow, there's going to be complete equality um, for the races. And this is like, hi, nice to meet you. By the way, we're going to have complete equality of the races. And he is there, like complete communist. And I couldn't help but thinking the whole time, like, you know, I, I can see why for people who were communists in the 1930s, why talking about race relations would be like a a natural thing about, you know, equality. But I don't think it actually did any favors. (laughs) I don't think civil rights being associated with communism did civil rights as an issue any favors. It probably was worse. You ever saw those uh, pictures of like people protesting in front of one of the government buildings in D.C. like in the 50s and it's someone holding up a sign just said, race mixing is communism. I think Marx did say that. Yeah, yeah I think Marx said that. <laughs> that was his thing. He's like, the proletariat will take over the means of production and then we'll we'll have sex with black women. It'll be great. Uh, well, you know, we don't know what he was throughout into. Throughout the book, there is a lot of stuff in the book though, seriously, of uh, people being har- horrifically scared and m- disgusted at the idea of uh, interracial couples. Yeah, especially when Very. you get later into the book to the, the, the newspaper articles about bigger, they get increasingly yeah. insane. Or like any oh, yeah. newspaper you read in Staten Island today. <laughs> I don't think they have newspapers there. Uh, I'm sorry, coloring book, whatever they have. It's just a uh, stormfront. Uh, so they. <laughs> So Bigger drives them around, yeah. and they like, oh, yeah, as, as you were saying, they put that Jan is like, I'm going to drive. And they all get in the front seat together because, you know, equality. That's what made me think of that. Uh, and so because they're driving around. It's like, hey. That had three seats in the front. It, well, it, ha- it has a cars. bench seat because it's, it's from 19. It, it, there, were, there were no seat belts in 1930, whatever. There, it was just or a drunk bench. driving laws. <laughs> There's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, know what a, do you know what a child, like a car seat for a baby looked like back in the day? It's. It looks like a, a, a bear trap. Like you just like put a child in like this metal rack thing with a blanket, and you're like, hold on, junior, and they just kind of like clips onto the seat. Nowadays, like I have my kid, like her car seat has like eleven points of contact with the vehicle, so it can't move. Back then, they're like, here's like a papoose that we're gonna put on a chair, and that was good enough. So 
that was for that was for newborns. So for adults, they're like, you're on your fucking own. Yeah. This car is basically a tank. You're not gonna get hurt. Like, like, Cars were so dangerous. <laughs> of course, they couldn't go that fast, but they still could go fast enough that even a minor crash was pretty deadly because, you know, they had no crumple zone. They didn't have airbags, crumple zones, well, seat belts. Everyone was trashed. Or drunk driving laws. And, man, people really did a lot of drinking, especially <laughs> in places like Chicago. <laughs> so, anyway, they're driving around, and they're like, hey, Bigger, we want to... We want to eat somewhere. Where would you recommend? Where do your people eat? He's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, and then recommends a place. I can't remember the name, but Ernie's, Ernie's chicken kitchen, Ernie's shack kitchen or something. And they're like, okay, great. We'll go there. And so he drives them there or he tells them where he tells Jan how to get there. And they, and they drive there and then they're like, okay, we're going to come and eat bigger. Come in and eat with us. He's sit with us at the table and he tries to get out of it. He's embarrassed to even go in with them because he knows the people there. He like people he knows are going to be there. So he's embarrassed to go in with them because these crazy white people and yeah, just making him really, really, really uncomfortable, even though they're trying to be nice it's also very like paternalistic the way they're doing it, but they're they're trying to be nice, but they just they just, just don't know how. Yeah, exactly. Just a total disconnect on how to do it. They're trying to speak to him like they would speak to anyone else, and then then he's like really really hesitant, and so then they kind of try to be like comforting, and it does come off as super patronizing when they're like, "No, no, man, it's totally okay. Come on in." Like it's if they're talking to a a scared child. But he also, he goes along with it. Yeah, and they, but they also, like, I mean, I was trying to be sympathetic to all the, like, trying to understand, because I've had a lot of questions about this book. Like, what were they doing? And I feel like they were doing the, you know, or they're supposed to be kind of, like, doing the best they knew how. Like, they're, tr- they're like, the progressive, uber-progressive people in this book. And uh, not to say they don't deserve criticism, but, like, I'm not sure how much better they could have done it in 1940, frankly. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're like, please take us to where you eat. Let's go try it. And they're like, this food's great. We like this. I think it's, like, I don't they, know. Meant, they meant well, but I think there was a, certainly a, an extreme lack of understanding how it would come across, like how it would affect the other people around them. Because all these people live in a world where if you're just seen near a white person, you could be accused of some shit. So if they go to sure. a black neighborhood and they're driving around and the cops show up, everyone around them is fucked. And... I'm sure they meant well, but they're kind of oblivious. And it's just, it's, yeah. they're just ignorant, but not in the same way that everyone else is ignorant. They're just ignorant of the way that the effect they have on their surroundings because they, it's never been an issue for them. They just don't have to think about that. They don't see any qualms right. with like, I'm going to go to the black neighborhood and hang out and it'll be great because it's never been a thought like, I have to watch what the fuck I'm doing. Yep. So they have, uh, they have dinner and, Bigger feels very strange about it, but they do. And then they're like, and then they have a whole lot of alcohol. A lot of first midnight some sauce. beer. Yep. First they have some midnight sauce, though now it's really only 10 p.m. Maybe it's 11. Uh, they have they have some beer, and then uh, Jan orders some rum, and then they have a whole bunch of rum. And then they're all pretty drunk, and then they get back in the car and drive home. 
Uh, well, they drive to the park for they drive, a while, the and they like finger bang in the back seat. Uh, Jan and Mary, something's going on. They're making out at least. So then, if eventually around two a.m., he drops. He leaves Jan, or they drop him off somewhere, and then the main thing is, and then he's bringing the car back to Mary's house, and he's bringing Mary and the car back to her house. And at this point, she is incredibly drunk, and she's like, "Gotta get her." He's like, "I gotta." Carry her, basically carry her in the door because she can barely walk. And she's like, come on in. And she's basically, she wants to fuck. She is like, come on in. I wasn't Bring sure if I was like, imagining that or not. I don't know. I didn't get that. I just got that she was unconscious drunk and he had to get her upstairs because something happens to her. He's still fucked. I mean, maybe she was getting a little frisky, but I, I don't know because she was unconscious before they even reached the stairs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he want if she was looking for for some cock, but either way, he gets her to the bed, and then the mom, who is blind, Mrs. Dalton, comes in and she's like, "Oh, is that you, Mary?" And then, in a moment of uh, panic, because he doesn't he doesn't know how to answer that why he would be there in that room, Mary is shit faced drunk and starts to kind of stir, and he puts the pillow over her face to keep her quiet, and. As the mother keeps calling out to her, smothers her to death. And then the mother's like, oh, you're drunk. Ah, fuck. And then she goes back to bed. And then things really take off. Yeah. Yeah, this is the part of the book where I went from like, this is kind of a boring book to, holy shit, this is really fucked up. Yeah, it escalates quickly. (laughs) Yeah, it's like 10 pages, like, holy Jesus. So he he kills her, and then he's in panic. And this, for me, began about... 300 pages of having a stomach ache. I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is happening now? Yeah. Because you're just watching horrendous decisions compound on on each other. And he, yeah, he's like, I got to get rid of this body. You could, you could, I think the author, I think Richard Wright has tried to create a situation where it, like, may, I mean, well, where it still was Bigger's fault. It's kind of like, you could almost see that happening where he's so scared that it's like, yeah, I cannot explain why I'm in a white girl's room. And, she, you know, at this, in, at 2 a.m. that uh, I was just trying to get out of it and it was an accident. You could almost understand that, but then it just gets, ugh, gets really bad. Really, really much worse. So he's like, I got to get rid of her. And, and I got to, you know, he was talking about robbing the grocery store earlier, but now he's on the other level of crime and he's not very good at it. You could say he has... A beginner's mind. <laughs> and this beer is called Beginner's Mind. And it is a double IPA from Treehouse. It is a lovely, lovely IPA. Uh, I could not tell you more than that because I fucking don't know the details of this beer. But it's delicious. <laughs> you get super pungent, hoppy, juicy kind of flavors. Not very bitter at all, but a little bit. It's It's lovely. So... Then it gets into what should have, I really think the title, like the working title of this book was It Escalated Quickly. Because then he's like, I have a dead fucking girl. Holy shit. So he like subs her in the trunk and he's like, I'm going to take the trunk downstairs because I'm supposed to take the trunk to the train station tomorrow and figure out what to do with her. And he's like, oh, I'll put her in the furnace. And so he shoves her into the furnace, but her head doesn't fit in. And so he L- takes... Luckily, he's got a knife for some... Slow slicing. <laughs> <laughs> this is slow slicing from the aptly named Nightmare Brewery. 
<laughs> and it is a Asiatic style sour ale soured on mandarin oranges, cucumbers, and lemongrass with yuzu and rice sugar. Did you say it's a stout? Sour. Or sour. 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 I, okay, I don't know what the fuck this is going to be like. That sounds horrendous. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds like it smells like a thousand year egg it or whatever smells. that thing's called. Kind of like a Sprite. That's really good. What does it really? taste like? I guess it's the oranges and lemongrass, you know? But it's... Is it not sour? Uh, just like a hint of it. I admit, this is... I saw the label. I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to get a better name than this. But I don't want to drink <laughs> that. I mean, we don't... I see Nightmare Ones all the time, and the, the fucking covers are so intense. I think we've only done a couple before. I think we did a big stout from there at yeah, some point. But this one is citrusy kind of lemonade kind of deal. It's pretty good. Props Dig to it. you, Nightmare. I did not expect that. I expect that to be Sounds nice. the worst thing I've had in a long time. <laughs> and you know what would not be the worst thing in a long time? Giving us money on Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. At least one of these beers, whichever one has the least, or if it's your thing, most offensive title, is uh, brought to us by our friends over at Patreon. If you go over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club, you could help support the podcast financially, which is way better than doing it spiritually. And you could get for different tiers, you could do things like vote in our monthly book poll. That's is little that's one dollar. One dollar and you get to help us pick a book every month. Just to put it in perspective, you could like provide water to an entire African village or vote in our book poll. And what would you prefer? Those are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, you could Just do both. You could do, you could do both. Spend two bucks. But, <laughs> but you could vote in our monthly book poll. You get shout out on our monthly uh, book poll episode. We shout out the patrons. You can get patron-only content, almost twice as much content, which is just... My retina is almost detached from the amount of reading I've had to do lately. You can benefit <laughs> from that. And we'll send you real things like a sticker... Uh, for you to go d- ruin something, a pint glass with our logo on that I am using at this moment to make my beers taste a little better than they normally would, and a copy of our read-along book, which is part of the Patreon-only content. So head over there if that's your sort of thing. We would really appreciate it. So he's cutting her head off. <laughs> uh, and he realizes, man, Good this knife just won't get through her spine. Luckily, there's a hatchet nearby, and he gets her head off. Though I have to imagine, I don't understand the shape of this furnace that, like, I can almost get this lady in, but the head's that just, like, put her in the other direction, man. I, I don't really understand the logistics of this furnace. Maybe it's like the furnace in, like, Home Alone. Where it's, like, That's wide. what I'm picturing. It's, like, a grate that opens up, and then there's, like, a bottom grate where all the ashes collect, yeah, and you have to scoop yeah, that out every so often. I feel like he could have, like, curled her up or something, but, you know, logistics. Uh, so he cuts her head off and then throws that in there, too, because... He's not, he's, not, he's not in the souvenir business. So... And that's book uh, part one. And then you're like, oh, fucking Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's another 300 pages of this. So in book two, or part two, rather, he kind of... Which is called Flight. So he he kind of sleeps at all, sleeps at his parent, his mom's house, comes back, and then he plays dumb, and he's like cooked up a plan. He's going to blame it all on the communist guy and, and frame him. And that's going to be the plan. Uh, actually, that, so that's the plan at first. And then he adds to the plan. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, he, based on a famous case that had happened before, 
Um, Leopold and Loeb. Leopold and Loeb that he was going to. He, he knows she's dead, but he's going to write Which is a, a real case, by the way. That's a ransom, real thing. He's going to write a ransom note because the, the Daltons are super, super wealthy. So he's like, you know, you're, he's going to write a ransom note that says, your daughter's still alive. Just give me $10,000 and I'll return her to you. Obviously, it was a lie. He also stole a whole roll of money from Mary. So he does have some money now, uh, which is going to play a little bit of a role later. So anyway, so he's got this. At first, he just like goes back to the Dalton's house. He pretends to move to sort of like move in. He's like doing his job. And oh, she told me to take the the trunk to the station. So I'm going to take the trunk to the station, though. He's, you know, acting like he doesn't know she's dead. So he like waits and she doesn't come out and he's supposed to bring her to the station. She doesn't come out. Well, she wanted me to go to the station. So I brought the trunk over. He goes back. And then the family is already really worried. Like, huh, why? But the trunk was almost empty. She didn't take any of our new stuff with her, you know, to um, Detroit. She was going to Detroit. Detroit. She was going to. Like, that's weird. And then Jan calls, or he they call Jan, or Jan calls. Yeah, he calls the house. He calls the house. He calls the house, and it's already it's like the the alibi, or or um, Jan's clearly going to have an alibi because he's like, has is Mary there? It's like, oh no, she left already. Like, huh, that's weird. And through, even just in in this whole like next whole thing, the part like part of the book really unfolds really in just that one day. He's like trying to pretend that nothing happened, and he's also exhausted. And then they, the the family, eventually in the afternoon, someone from Detroit calls and says, "Mary never arrived. Where is she? Do you know what happens? Like she she never arrived. That's so weird." Then Mister Dalton brings in a private investigator that like already works for him. Britain, not that it matters at all. Who who had one of the best lines in the whole book? He says some. He says some like really. Like you can tell, he's trying to like be polite to the to bigger, but his polite nominally thing is it's like woof. Yeah, he's the Holy one that calls shit. him boy the whole time, and yeah. he uh, he he immediately thinks this guy did it just because he's black. I mean, he did do it, but he thought it was just because. And uh, bigger hears him talking to Mister Dalton from nearby, spying on them. Because he, they're making no effort to hide their conversation. No, it's like uh, Mister Dalton doesn't believe he could have done it. He's a he's a good kid, and he, he kind of thinks that he doesn't have like the knowledge base to do anything complex. And Britain still thinks it's him, and he's like, he could be smarter than he looks. You know, he could be playing dumb. And when he talks, does he wave his hands around a lot? Like he's been around a lot of Jews. It's like, it's like, <laughs> what the he fuck does that, that mean? <laughs> it's so weird. That's a weird question. I just th- I just thought the weird thing was. The hand waving thing, like, are Jews known for waving their hands when they talk? I thought that was Italians. Yeah, get it right, Britain. Uh, but but Britain's like, oh, he might be too dumb, or he maybe he talked to a Jew. But then, like, he gets the slightest inkling that it could have been the communist guy. And he's like, nope, that's it. It's the fucking communist guy. That pinko son of a bitch. Police work and then, back then was very easy. It was, yeah, like, was there a black guy nearby? No? Hmm, shit, is there a communist nearby? Eva, all right, we're good. Let's get the paddy wagon. <laughs> so then they're, they're all right, we got to go get Jan, and they bigger kind of tells this whole thing, and this scene goes on forever, and eventually it's, it, it, it's not quite right, but I've, it's felt like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm to me, this part of the book. 
where you're just like <laughs> cringing the whole time. Okay. Oh God. Oh God. Don't do it. Oh no. Oh shit. He did it like that for like 70 pages of him sitting in the room. It felt like at least sitting in the room there. And then the news reporters show up and then they're talking to him and then they're into going. It just went on and on and on. Uh, and eventually, I mean, I don't know how much detail we need to go into this scene, but eventually they're well, like, we need Baker to put, put goes to his girlfriend's, to his girlfriend, Bessie. This is where you just kind of actually meet her for the first time. Oh, and, yeah. And, well, yeah, I skipped this part. And he convinces her to help him. Like, oh, hey, the, this Mrs. Mary Dalton, she's missing. And I want you, and I'm going, uh, and she's not coming back. I want you to help me. <laughs> you know, get $10,000 out of them. And she's immediately like, how do you know she won't be back? You killed her, didn't you? And he's like, no. Don't fucking ask me questions. <laughs> yeah. He also clearly is just kind of using her for sex, and she's also poor and damaged. She's an alcoholic, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, there's that, too. And so and, uh, she agrees to go along with it. She ultimately. does agree to go along with it. And then he returns to the Dalton's house, and this is where everything goes wrong because... You know, at the, it's like oh the uh, the furnace it it well, he it's drops not, off it's t- the uh, he drops the the fake ransom letter he's he's um written with Bessie yeah and he and they find it and he's like oh what's that and of course for some reason every reporter in Chicago is suddenly there like they don't even know the girl's missing but they find but they're out. not involving the police no but now everyone will know it's like oh I'm gonna tell all the reporters but I'm gonna tell them don't call the cops like that's that's not how anything works. At this point, the cops could just read about it in the paper. Yeah. And uh, also, the paper it. comes out every... It's like an online paper. Because he, like, le- after he runs away... Well, there he were sees the pa- early... He sees the paper, like, by the time he steps outside, almost. Well, remember the reporter... At one point, the reporter's like, do you think... Uh, I, I picture him talking like a... Oh, he like does a talk 1930s like that. He gangster. Does. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you Jimmy think uh, Mr. Dalton would mind us using the phone? <laughs> and then, he, and the, yo, go... And the, 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 the fucking detective guy's like... No, no, go right ahead. Go make a phone call. And he's like, all right, I got a, got a hot scoop. You know, and he just like reports it somehow to, to, the, to the bureau desk or some bullshit, that whatever they called that back in the day. And then they're like, all right, let's print it and get a whole bunch of 11-year-old boys with, with hats to sell this. Hats <laughs> and suspenders. <laughs> Where are my newsies? And they just start pushing newspapers out into circulation. Well, the newspapers guys are asking bigger a lot of questions because he's you know there and they're asking him stuff and he's giving them answers that'll try to like hint that jan did it even though jan you know at this point has i think jan at this point has been arrested yeah he's arrested and he's and in, in jail fact, and refusing to come out in the course of this part this this long ass fucking scene jan the uh mr dalton pulls every string he owns he's like let him go i don't think he's a criminal now and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm staying in here because I'm not going to get accused of shit. And uh, this all happened. And they, I don't know how they were finding this information out that quickly when there are no cell phones or the internet or TV. Well, I mean, the cop probably, he probably called the police and says, this guy is here. Go get him and arrest him. And they said, yes, sir, because that's what they do. You're rich. Yeah. You sponsored our fun run last year. <laughs> And then, for five uh, million the re- dollars, <laughs> the reporters are asking him, asking bigger questions, and he's kind of like hint that Jan did it, so it, you know, suspicion is thrown off of him. And they, they had this one beautiful thing. What was a good God? What a story! Don't you see it? These Negroes want to be left alone, and these Reds are forcing them to live with them. See, 
Is Erlone, Jan, a citizen? Mention his foreign-sounding name. Is he Jewish? I don't know. That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> we can't have it all. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, he's not a Jew. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Just leave that part out of the story. Don't say he's not a Jew. Yeah, they're saying he, it's, he's, he's Jewish. Uh, <laughs> he's Jewish? <laughs> but then the story starts to fall apart because they're like, hey, the furnace is really dirty. Let's oh, let's clean it while everyone's here. He's like, nah, we'll clean it later. Like, no, let's clean it. Like, no, I don't want to clean it right now. We're important reporters, but we will help. We'll roll up our shirt sleeves to help the young Negro boy clean a furnace out. Like, that's what happens. Like, they're sort of like, you idiot who you don't know how to clean out a furnace or you don't oh, know yeah, how to true. like take the eggs. Like, we'll, we'll show you how to do it. And you left all the bones in. Oh, okay. And then but why were they all just hanging out in the basement for like 45 minutes? Like, what was, was the furnace in the basement? I thought it was like in the garage. I mean, it, it, they're typically in the basement. It's, I think it was the basement kind of thing. But And there's like a side door that goes into the basement mm-hmm. that you can enter from the outside. Something like that. And so they, the reporters, they're like, let us handle this, son. And so they are digging, they sort of like boy. trying to <laughs> dig out the ashes that, that are just like clogging up the furnace. I guess this is how coal furnaces work. But anyway, they're like trying to drag it out and then they find oh, some bones. <laughs> and then they, they find, find an earring. Something glimmering in there. This beer's called Glimmering. Ooh. I can't make the noise because it was on. I poured it from my keg. This is a triple IPA from Finback. Dry hopped with Idaho 7. Idaho 7 cryo. There's a lot of cryoing in this book, actually. <laughs> Cashmere cryo and Meridian. A bunch of newer hops. Uh, 10% alcohol, I think I said. Now, when they say newer hops, are they making new, are they breeding new strains? They're not discovering these hops. Yeah, yeah they're breeding like, new strains. There's some guy like with a machete hacking through a jungle. <laughs> He's like, here it is. Except the jungle <laughs> Idaho like 7 at last. Eastern Washington State. You just have to cut through the, to the back of the fucking uh, Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they find, like, oh, shit. New hops. Um, they're, they're pretty much all, they're just like, um, they're all just variants. It's like weed where they just like breathe. Like this one is Blue Dragon Sun Shower. And this one is... <laughs> <laughs> peanut butter and bacon tartufo. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's basically, I mean, the names are just made up horseshit, yeah. I'm sure. But I'm, I'm just trying to find out the name. I don't want to be incorrect. But they're basically, a lot of them are just variants on like the basic hops that you see all the time. They're kind of like, this is a cultivar or whatever of Citra, or this is a variant of Mosaic. You know, they're just, they, so they, they're they just breed them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, Eric told us about this a while ago at Finback that there's like sort of conventions or some sort of events that brewers go to where they're like, here's the new weird hop I made. What do you think of this kind of thing? They just get the hop to fuck have each any... other until they come up with a weird baby. Yeah. yeah. And they probably have to get bees <laughs> to do it for them. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how you pollinate. I mean, I'm sure it's rum it, together. It, it's that sort of thing. It's bees. I don't that know enough do about growing hops. <laughs> But then, you know, those hops have a new baby and now they're uh, pops. Hops on pops. No? We should do that book. What, what, you know what? I'm, I need to get my, my Goodreads count up. You can do hops on pops. just plow through all my, all my kids' uh, uh, fucking Dr. Seuss books that she has. So, yeah, this is a delicious beer. It's wonderful. Super tropical, piney IPA. Just, just wonderful. Good thing I bought five and a half gallons of it. What, how, how much is that? That's, a, that's, a, that's the smallest size keg you could buy. Okay. 
I've never really measured beer in gallon form. So, um, well, you're not doing it right. That's true. So, so I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a, like a keg use those things. So I'd have to like just stab it with a knife and just drink it out of the keg. And I feel like it wouldn't work very well. But it, it, it's, it sounds like a lot. It's, um, hmm, actually, it is a lot. It's 44, uh, 16 ounce cans. So it's like two cases and change. Okay. Or no, not even two cases, right? Two cases to 24. So under two cases. That's a good amount. Efficient price, price wise, it is cheaper to buy it by the keg, of course. Um, Hangover wise, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> it's really not wise because at all. Because if you just keep filling the glass before you empty it, it's still technically one beer. Oh, I yeah, it. I've learned. I've I really finished them all the kegs basically in one glass. Ooh, and then I just you might be dead. I let my family down again. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of letting your family down, they find this shit and they're like, "Hey, hey, fella, what do you think? There is that a that that dead dame? <laughs> Whatever they say." And then Bigger is like, this is my cue. And he he just walks out. And they're just like, yeah. like nine men, in, I would imagine, with like fedoras and trench coats, just staring in a, like a pile of ashes. And they're like, I think that's a femur. And like one of the guys is like, didn't you train as a, as a medicine guy? And then he, like, yeah, that's definitely a... <laughs> they ask one of the guys, like, didn't you train in medicine? And he's like, why, I did. And like, that's definitely a, that's a bone. And it's if I've ever seen one, it's a bone, and it's probably a human girl bone. Like he just identifies it from some splinter of bone <laughs> sitting in the fucking. Like, what are you, an anthropologist or something? Yes, you fucking right. He was an amateur tabloid news. So bigger leaves, and he goes upstairs, but then jumps out the window of his of his upstairs, you know, room that he's been in all of two hours. Uh, he leaves. He, he jumps out and then runs away. And he, there's like tons of snow. No, no, that's slightly later. But um, he goes to Bessie's, Bessie's tiny little apartment, and she's like, "They've figured me out. We've got to go." But he's also they kind of leave, but then they sort of find it like an abandoned building that they're going to hide out in. That was his plan. We'll go hang out in the abandoned tenement. Yeah, that's no been one, condemned. No one will find us there, even though now like his picture is going to be in the paper because you know that he this he the. Reporters ended up taking a picture of him in the background when they were there uh, to interview Mr. Dalton and stuff like that. And she is like very afraid. And he, so first he rapes her and then realizes, like, I can't bring her with me. There's no way I can escape if I try and bring her with me. So he beats her to death with a brick. And wouldn't you say for her, it's lights out? Yeah. This is lights out. <laughs> An American Pale Ale from a company that will never sponsor us, <laughs> uh, Treehouse Brewing. It's a 5.8% alcohol IPA that aims to pack all the flavor and character of a Treehouse IPA or double IPA into a more rounded and sessionable beverage. So this kind of sounds like what Jimmy has been questing for mm-hmm. for some time. I don't think you would think this is it. <laughs> it's fine. It's, I, for me at least, what makes... Uh, Pale ale different from IPAs and double IPAs, especially, is that the pale ales tend to be just thinner. You know, like yeah. there's a there's a body difference. Like the flavor, the flavor is great, but uh, I prefer the I prefer the girth of the double. It's so much less thick, yeah. so less viscous than the other beers. And part of that is the, uh, the alcohol to a degree, but also just the amount of like sugar and shit they put in there. It just doesn't fully uh you know it's a sort of 
I don't know what the right chemical word is for it's like it's dissolved, but it's getting like still there. I don't know what the right word for that is. So yeah, he has had an eventful two days, uh, and he is constantly reading the newspapers uh, after he throws her body down an air shaft in the building, and they have basically shut down south side of Chicago and the police are out in force searching every apartment, train car, street car, gutter, Along with street. Thousands of volunteers. Thousands of volunteers. There's a fucking army. And they have already arrested hundreds of people that look enough like bigger that's like, that's good enough. Arrest them. And they're, and they're kicking in doors and, and yeah, beating the shit out of folks and just going just going all out. And the newspaper articles are increasingly insane. Basically, just first, oh, you know, he's he did this and he's suspected, and he, we're gonna find him. And then it's like, like they the don't even say rapist. suspected. They're like this racist, uh, rapist, murderer. They just like start with that. Yeah, and then by the end, they're getting super intense. Just like this primitive animal beast is out doing rapings. His jaw sticks out like a jungle beast. Yeah, and they say ape things all the time and it's like oh boy this is this this just sounds like stormfront so then uh he he runs for a while and eventually he gets caught and it's a dramatic scene where he's like on the roof of the building and they he hits a cop with his gun he he, he brains the dude yeah. with the butt of the pistol and then he uh he's like I'll, I'll i'm not gonna let him catch me i'll kill myself i'm gonna save one bullet for me but of course he does not do that. Also, this whole time, he is increasingly worried, like, I definitely killed her, and they know that, but I did not rape her. And that's, His that's not going to bestie tells him that. Yeah. And then the newspaper he sees that he, you know, at first they're like, rape is, you know, suspected, and then by, the, like, the second article, they're like, he is raping everyone. He's raping the white ladies. And he just knows that that's a death sentence. Rape murder, like, apparently murder is not a death sentence, but rape murder is absolutely a death sentence. He's going to, he's going to be fried and he knows it. And so he's like, I got nothing to fucking lose at this point. Well, later on when they, uh, the court scenes and shit, when they're examining Jan, they're like, did you tell, or they examined big, I figured exactly where, but it's once again, into the court part of the book. They're like, did Jan tell you, you could, that Negroes could have sex with white women? That's when he's talking to the prosecutor, I think in the jail. Yeah. Yeah. The prosecutor. But, like, clearly, like, that's, it's like, and if he did say that, that would be outrageous, you know? That, 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 that's the tone of the scene, mm. that if, he, if it had been, re, uh, you know, revealed and, like, no, it's totally cool for you to also have sex with white women, that would be outrageously abs- disgusting to the people in this society. Like, they're, you know, that, uh, was that, what, miscegenation or whatever? Miscegenation. Miscegenation? I think so. Mis- whatever. I've only seen it spelled, and it has a C in well, it. Well, the people that, that are really against it. it can't say it or spell it, so it doesn't come up very often. Well, here, to protect our bloodlines. <laughs> but he eventually gets caught in like a date. Now, we're in book th- part three, which is called... Uh, Fate. 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 Which, uh, this is still so much of the book left. There's still yeah. a ton of it. And clearly... so. The problem with the section, at least as a novel, the fa- as like this is a novel goes, is there's no like suspense. There's no like, oh, he's captured, he's going to be put on trial, and he's going to get be found guilty. 
because he is guilty, but he's going to be found guilty, and they're going to they're going to execute him. And there's like it was obvious that was what was going to happen the whole way through. So there's no like tension, I guess you could say, or there's very little. But still, clearly, this is the point of this is why Richard Wright wrote the book is really to have this part. It, it you know because the point of the book was to show to sort of like show white America what it's like to be black in America. So there's like all, all it. It was still pretty boring, but when Bigger is reading more of the newspapers and the really just absolutely most terrible racist stuff that was printed in the newspapers, and then this short, this sort of like show trial, except, okay, one thing that happens is like the, so the, the lawyer, so Jan's Max. lawyer friend, who's, I mean, this guy's a communist, his name is Boris Max, decides to be Bigger's defense lawyer. In case you didn't know, the communists come from Russia. <laughs> right, so yes. Boris. And so he's, so he's his defense lawyer. And this is like still, I don't know how many hundreds of pages, but it, it was a lot. It's about, in the edition I was, I read in the ebook version, it was about two, like, three-fifths through the book, two-thirds, somewhere in the six, low 60s percentage. And you're like, what else is there to say? Yeah. And he explains. And so there's there's like a trial. It was definitely... So like in the, the story in the book, the trial was rushed. In the book book, the trial was not rushed. The trial took way too long. But yep. the lawyer goes on and on saying like, but... And, and the point he's trying to make is, look at America. Like, look at the history of America, what's everything that, that's happened. Look at the situation that Bigger lives in. He has no prospects for much for jobs at all. And he and his friends, they know, don't know what to do with themselves. And that this is, he doesn't say this is expected exactly, but the point he, the, but the point that Richard Wright was trying to make and that the lawyer makes in the book is that this, he is the product of his circumstances. Like, this is what happens this is what can happen when you put someone in this kind of situation goes on and on and on and yet he's still found guilty well i I mean he is he is guilty he's fucking did it he (laughs) killed the girl then he staged the the kidnapping thing and then he killed uh bessie who the other the prosecutor guy knew about that too somehow like he found found her found that out she wasn't dead they found her it turns out she wasn't actually dead, but she did try and crawl away, but then froze to death after he dumped her down a garbage chute. And he knew about them jerking off in the theater. That's weird. Yeah. He's like, ah, I know what you did there, Maybe too. Maybe he also just took a ah. shot in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's really That's very good. I see. You, you, you can take the rest of the night off. That's great. <laughs> I <laughs> so. peaked. It's, I'm done. I'm retiring. <laughs> But Bigger also signs a confession at one point. He's like, yeah, pretty it, quickly. Care. As soon as he's caught, he doesn't try and pretend they didn't do it. He does say he doesn't didn't rape Mary, but he doesn't. But he he basically does admit to murdering her. Like, I find right it really away. interesting the court scene when they're like, "Here, jurors, come look at the remains of the." And it's, maybe I misread it, but it sounds like they have on a table all their evidence, and this is like I guess like a grand jury kind of thing. Yeah, and they have. A box of ashes and her bones. Yeah. The 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 ransom note and his confession. They're like, come take a look at that. Is that not a dead girl or what? <laughs> Dude, that was was that really necessary <laughs> to have in the courtroom? 
they fucking wheeled in Bessie's body. One one of the point one of the important points of the book is that like people really don't care about they they don't care that he that he murdered Bessie. Like they just yeah. it's just not that important. They only nope. care about the rich white girl. And uh I mean we could go through the court scene, but it's basically a an opportunity for Richard Wright to kind of polemicize or whatever. You know, he gets to like, kind of say his thing. Like, look what you've created. And then it doesn't matter at the end. And Bigger is kind of like, whatever, I accept it. And that's the end of the book. Right? Am I missing anything? He gets sentenced to death. Yeah. Yeah, he gets the ch- he's going to get the chair. But but that's the end of the book. And, who oh boy. That is... Yeah. I mean, the really the important part, I guess, if you, you, just, you could basically just take the closing arguments of the lawyer and the... Of the lawyer, really, and that's it's an essay. It's just an essay yeah. on the way shit is, and it's long and it's thorough. And then the prosecutor gives an argument. And is like, this is this is just what they do. This is the way these people are. And everyone's like, yeah, fuck them, burn them. And the newspaper had been saying similar things the whole time. Like, yeah. there's some some newspaper shit where they're like, this is like why. Uh, like, there's a newspaper article about his childhood in I forget, it was Mississippi or somewhere. Oh yeah. He and like did said, a bad he was thing a sh- once and he was a shiftless child and his family was bad. And that's why we shouldn't educate black. The, at one point it says, these are not the lovable darkies of that people. It says something like that. Like these yeah. are, they're not the lovable darkies. And you're like, Oh my God. That's ooh. like, if you think Chicago is bad in fucking Mississippi. <laughs> That they, they're saying, like, this is why we shouldn't educate them. And it's, it's, it's even, it goes as far to, specifically to say we should control this through, like, taxes and government expenditures to make sure that their schools are shitty and they don't learn as much because they are not animals. They're not people. You know, they got to keep them in their, their, their place, you know? When they, in the closing argument, the lawyer talks about what he did is fucking terrible. But this shit happens all the time. It's not because he's black. He said, gangsters have killed and gone free to kill again. But no one starts riots. The cops don't shut down a section of the city. It doesn't happen when that happens. It's just when black people do it. And he says, oh, he thought he'd blame the communists because that works. Because everyone fucking believes that. It's like, oh, well, the communists did it because the media says this is what happens. And they ramp it up every time. And things fucking go crazy. And that's what happens every time. Whether or not... Yes, this guy did it, but this is going to happen whether or not he did it. As I was reading it, the whole time, or at least like halfway through, like the, especially the middle section of the book, I was like, oh, this is Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. Like this is, this is like the exact plot because the, anyway, this is, so I was like, oh, Richard Wright, what he's doing is he write, he's basically writing the black or the African-American, you know, civil rights version of Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. And then after I finished the book and I tried to like, cause I actually only read half of that book and I don't really know what happens in just, the end. Just the crime. I mean, I don't, mean, I, don't I don't really, <laughs> I didn't read all of it. Actually reading it is a punishment. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But anyway, I would, I, cause I don't know it well. I was like, Oh, let me go on the internet and let me look up like the ways that native son relates to crime and punishment. And I couldn't find anything. I've never read it. So I can't confirm I've or deny either. In so in that book, uh, the main character Raskolnikov, he's a poor he's a, he's a poor student in Saint Petersburg. This is like 1850. 
I know and, he kills the old lady. And he kills the old lady. And But at first he's like, well, I kind of deserve it. Or I, I des- you know, I she's like a pawnbroker. She like preys on people, you know, and I could really use the money. But then this, but then he eventually does get caught. And then he is eventually sentenced to prison. But it is also about morality. And it's about right versus wrong. But in a very, but in a complex way, not in a black and white kind of way. Literally. Exactly. This book is definitely about it in a black and white way. And there are a lot, there were a lot of similar things to it. And I really, that's what I thought this book was. But I guess it wasn't. I mean, does, just because you didn't find anything, that doesn't mean that's not possible. I mean, you can, if that's what you thought, that's what you thought. I mean, I've never fucking read it, so I couldn't tell you. But it's not, it's a different, maybe it's a different kind of morality. Because obviously it was wrong to saw off a lady's head. But it's a different, maybe different, uh, a different scale of morality. Maybe I don't know. I don't know how to word it. He does murder in in crime and punishment. He does murder the lady with an axe, hmm. not with a pillow, That's but weird. with an axe. I confuse the two all the time. Everything's crazier in Russia. That's true. One of our long term patrons has suggested we do crime and punishment, and I'm just keep trying to come up with excuses. Sorry, CL, <laughs> but uh, maybe we should do that now. We'll I don't we'll know. Do it one day. I really don't want to read it. I really don't want to. I'm going to need like three fucking solid weeks to read that book. <laughs> yeah. So this fucking book. Yeah. Let's get it's I have wildly I have famous, wildly well-known. I mean, at least people know the name of it. And successful when it came out. Very successful. Why? Yeah. Crazy popular. Sold hundreds of thousands of copies in 1940s. That's a mega bestseller. That's almost everyone that could read in 1940. But it would clearly, but what it clearly meant is he was selling it to white people, right? Like those numbers. Oh, yeah. To sell, or it's sold to white people. I'm not saying he intended it no, for, but yeah. I think he did. So what was his point? I, that, that's what I don't get. Reading this book, like I understood what he was saying. At least I think I understood that shit was fucking horrendous, like for black people. Conditions were terrible. Even though we like to think that it was relegated to the South and... It was much better up north. It was terrible everywhere, and the abuse of black people in, in America was terrible. Like that, I, I get that, and he and he illustrates it. And I think he does an interesting thing of showing like the inner monologue of bigger, especially earlier in the novel, when he's like, "There's a part where he sits, where he's standing outside with Jack or whoever the fuck his friend is, and he sees a plane, and he's like, oh, I would, I could be a pilot if they let me, right?' Like this." This like downtrodden, like they're they're just subjugated. They're really mistreated people. But then Bigger's actions are so like fucked up. You can't you can't sympathize with him. Like the things he does are horrendous. Like they're just awful. He mur- he kills the girl. Now uh, maybe maybe you can go along with it like oh that was a crime. Kind of freaked out. But when you read that passage. She's clawing at his hands, and he's holding down, and then her hands stop, and her hands drop to her side, and then he's like, oh, she, later on, after the mom leaves, he's like, oh, she's, oh, shit, she's dead. Like, he didn't know what he was doing. I'll, I'll accept that to a degree, but then he cuts her head off with an axe and throws it in the fucking furnace, and then tries to frame a guy and blame the commies and then extort money out of it, and then he murders his girlfriend after he fucking rapes her, basically. 
I mean, I, I, I have to read that passage. I don't know how, I don't know how consensual that scene was. It was kind of no, it was rape. Creepy. Yeah. She, she, she definitely wasn't into it, right? Yeah. I, I still don't remember the details well, so I'm not trying to excuse him. <laughs> but he does all these things, and he's like on the run, and then he's like shooting at people. Like he's not a sympathetic character. No. So I don't understand what as me like as anybody reading this book, but like as I'm trying to put myself in the position of of the target audience, right? A white person in 1940 who might have vague or blurry ideas like, what what's the deal with black people? And you read this and you're like, the first part of the book, you're like, man, that's fucked up what we do to black people. And then he's a monster. He does terrible, terrible things. I just don't understand how I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed to do with that information. I think it's possible that he was, you know, certainly there was, it was purposely done that he chose to write about someone who was terrible. Because it maybe would have been too straightforward or too dumb if he was like the perfect dude and he got hoodwinked and you know fucked over by the cops. But maybe it was just that we, he says a bunch of times, you know, when he killed her, suddenly he felt like great. And he kills the other girl, he feels great because yeah. it's the first real choice he's ever had. It's the only time he has control in his life. Yeah, he's never it's basically what it is. had a say in what goes, what happens to him until he. Chopped a lady's head off with an axe. So it was extreme, but... I think probably the the message that Richard Wright was trying to say is that oppression makes turn makes people do this. Or it's like oppression... It, he was, that's what he was trying to say, that oppression is why this, is, why this happened. That he turns, oppression turns people into monsters. Yeah. And that is one of the criticisms that this book has had. Um, also from... Uh, James Baldwin and other people, but I think I think that it was trying to say like this, you know, this guy bigger. And actually, I, I probably the fact that his name is bigger and it, that rhymes with something else. I bet that wasn't an accident. I think that's probably what what Richard Wright was trying to say. Like this is what oppression does to people. Like if you just subjugate people for generations and treat them as less than, how do you expect? things to go this is an extreme example but you know except i think part of the problem is the book doesn't quite come off that way or at least bigger as the character seems he it, that he's you know is the point of view character you get to hear or find out like why he's making these decisions and why he's doing all these things and maybe it's just like you're supposed to feel about him the way because he wrote this in 1940 this shit was this is, yeah, crazy this ahead is of its pre-civil time. pre-civil rights. This is nuts for a book in 1940. This is like, clearly, cause this could have been the 60s, 70s, you know, easily. And maybe at this point, like, any time you read about a black person in the news, you felt the way you feel about bigger. And it was supposed to be like, what the fuck, people? This is, it's more complicated than just, that's what they do. I don't know. I'm, I'm really grasping at straws as to why also, but... So there's a part where the when Bigger's in jail early on in book part three, and I, I can't remember the fucking district attorney or state attorney, prosecutor, whatever his name is. Buckley. He's saying, oh yeah, Buckley. And he's like, we know you killed this, raped and killed Dalton. And we know you killed Bessie. And we also know you killed this other girl back last October. And we know you killed this other girl in this time. And he's like, whoa, well, whole fuck, I didn't kill those girls. And then, so there's, there's this whole thing of like, I, I didn't know what to make of this. Like, yeah, there's this historically like, oh, there's a crime. 
it must have been committed by the black person. Like, that's a real thing. That's terrible to just assume that black people are the criminals and the white people didn't do it. And black people would get, uh, you know, through the show trials, just convicted or even just straight up fucking lynched. But, but Bigger did these crimes. That's the thing that I can't understand. It's not like he's a, a victim. It's not like To Kill a he's Mockingbird. He's not innocent. Yeah, it's not yeah, like, like to, to Kill a Mockingbird. You're right, because um, in that, what's his name? Tom? Tom Robinson? Tom, who was completely innocent, didn't do anything wrong, but he gets... just broke a chiffer rope. <laughs> uh, and then doesn't, you know, uh, but ends up getting, you know, convicted of the crime that he didn't actually do. But at this point, no, bigger... He he really did all the well. He didn't rape Mary, but yeah, it's the one thing he did, didn't do. It's the one thing he didn't do, but yet that seems to be the thing that everyone is cares the most about by 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 a small amount. They care about the murder too. Maybe that's like a generational thing, like to, to that maybe that meant something. I mean, not the same. I think the fact that he was black and they think he's a black man that raped a white woman—that's the part that seems worse. But he also fucking cut her head off. Like, I, I, it's, it's I, the it's it's I, a, you I, I know, know what the you're white, saying. Black guys coming for white women thing. It's been a thing for cent- decades, I guess centuries, centuries really. But it's always been that it's always been like such a just disgusting, distasteful thing to people who are, you know, racist, I guess, and general society. Just like that's what they're gonna do. They're trying to take our women. It's like, oh, he'll kill one, but. You know the rape and stuff. Well, we just got to kill them before they do that. Like, what? What? What year was Emmett Till? Sixties. This that was afterward. That was fifty. It was early fifties. Something. Yeah, I and mean, all he did was what whistle at a lady, and they're like, better and string him up. Didn't. And he just didn't, a, didn't just a it, couple right? of years ago, just two or three years ago, the woman actually admitted, she "Oh no, he didn't do that. I was wrong, or I made it up. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, oh no." If you get a chance, I forget what it's called, but Dave Chappelle has a one of his specials on Netflix. Uh, he mentions that at the end of it, and it has an amazing punchline that I don't want to ruin, where he talks about is this. It the, the, the new one, da- the eight forty six one. No, not that one. It's one of the ones. That one's a little. That one's different. Okay. No, it's one of the one of the ones a few before that. He did like three. Yeah, but I, I just don't understand. I still like. I, it's a. Well, it's comp- it's it's complex or it's nuanced because bigger isn't innocent. I don't think it's he's okay, not right, maybe, a maybe, victim maybe. or at least even though he's like sort of a victim of oppression but like the rest of it no he really did all that stuff. Well maybe maybe I'm like Almost a law and order conservative or something but like the guy fucking murdered and raped murdered two women raped one he's a criminal. Like, I I'm not I I find it hard to sympathize or empathize with him at this point because they're all the other black characters in the book aren't doing that. I mean, I could, they, they, they have robbed some grocery stores and stuff. That's terrible too, in a different way, in a different order of magnitude. But I'm so, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. Like, it's like, uh, it's not so bad because he was treated like shit. Like, yeah, absolutely. He was treated terribly, but his actions are inexcusable. I don't know how to react to that. I don't know what I'm missing. I think also, I mean, I agree with you. And also, even if you like took the part, this is like a very, uh, reading it in a very generous way, that 
it was kind of an accident that he killed Mary, and then he just kind of had to get rid of the body because, you know, that would be because then if he's discovered, because, you know, because he really doesn't want to be discovered to be a murderer, that, uh, that could, if you want to try and rationalize that away, but then he tries to, dis- to, tries to get the money. Then he tries to build on the, the murder, not build on it. That's not the good word for it. But then he tries to also... Capitalize. Capitalize. <laughs> capitalism on the Tell murder. Tell us the communists. <laughs> by, uh, by writing the ransom note and trying to get $10,000, which was a lot of money. I mean, that's nothing for Mr. Dalton, but it's still like a lot of money back then. That and really... Like fucking years of income to him. Yeah, that is... He was getting paid $25 a week was what he was going to get paid as the chauffeur. So it's kind of like that's the part for me that takes it to, like, even if you were trying to rationalize the other stuff, he was just trying to, like, not get caught for the murder, but then he made it worse. This is where he's like, ha-ha, I'm actually smarter than these white folks, but then makes the crime even worse. And he's like, that's what I mean. He's not innocent. It wasn't an accident. That part wasn't an accident. He did that on purpose. Right. Whatever my whatever accidental thing he did, he quickly reverses course and it's he, he regrets nothing. There's never a moment where he's like, Oh, what did I do? It's like, oh for maybe a minute, but then it's like, how do I how do I turn this to my benefit? So yeah. I feel like if I was reading this, I was trying to imagine like if you're reading this in nineteen forty, right, and you're a white person, perhaps a white person who like never interacts with black people and only knows stereotypes, how would you react to this book? This is before I can't go on a message board or fucking Goodreads and hear people's thoughts on this book to help me understand it better. If you just read it, and you're a person who has like vaguely racist tendencies or vaguely racist ideas... Wouldn't this be reinforcing that? Exactly. How do you not leave this book and like, fucking see? Look what they do! You know, I, I mean, it, it, I, yeah, maybe. I don't understand how you would leave this, like, even if, if you come from the perspective, you're like, I don't know, let's see what these black people are up to. And you read this book, how would you not leave it like, oh, they're maybe, like, how would you leave it with a more positive view? Maybe he's hoping you just pay attention to the lawyer's closing argument. And this is all just a frame, a story frame, not a frame job. Well, so then it gets to the other issue of the book. The book is fucking way too long. It's quite long. Yeah. Really as a as Mike said in our text conversation, this is more of an important book than an interesting read. Though the yeah. middle part of the book, I was I was interested in that part, but the beginning yeah. third, not so much, and then like the end, but the whole like last third or more with the trial, it was like, oh god, not fun to read. Yeah, you already knew what was happening. You knew, as you said, it's gonna. There's no suspense anymore. <laughs> you know where it's going to end up. The point, and that, I mean, we know he did it, but I think saying like in a in this world, whether or not he did it, it's done deal anyway. I mean, maybe I don't know if that's true, like for what he was going for. But I I'm trying to figure out what the point of it all was. I, I like this book. It was absolutely way too long, but. I have to, I have to, I'm trying to think of reasons why it was the way it was. And I, I think it's called fate. Like, it's a given. He was a dead man before they caught him. It's just a matter of how long it takes. Which is, you know, it's not, it's not a perfectly written book. But it is trying to get a point across. And it, it, it's more of a, it's more of a message than a story. Or it's trying to be. And I get, I, I hear that. I just feel like, 
the fate, when you say fate and you're going to say, oh, it's the fate of this man that no matter what he did, he's going to be killed by white people. The fact that he murdered two people. Yeah, no, certainly. Kind of fucks that message up for me. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm i like, sure there I was a reason, nothing, but I don't know what it was. I know it's not, a, it's not a fair comparison, but like To Killing Mockingbird is like the only other book I've read that's similar to this in this, this respect. Green Mile. And I, I, I've only seen it. It's a pretty faithful adaptation. But in the in the, you read To Kill a Mockingbird, and if you have any scruples in you, you're like, oh man, this is this was fucked up. What happens to Tom Robinson? This is a miscarriage of justice. But in here, I look at him like justice was served. The guy fucking committed the crime. I don't understand the message. I'm not getting it. It's on me, perhaps, but I'm not. Getting no, it. I I don't really know why either. I'm sure there is a reason, but I don't know what it is. There's an introduction in the version I read, which says basically all these characters are metaphors for world forces. So it says a uh, bigger and bigger family and friends, peripheral figures are, they represent the black world, like the people, the black world. Um, Mr. Dalton and Mrs. Dalton are liberal liberalism and capitalism. They have this... Which which one's which? Mr. Though? Dalton uh, is capitalism, and capitalism's fair handmaiden, liberalism, is the blind Mrs. Dalton, and the warm but giddy figure of Mary. So you know, well-meaning, but they're not help. Like they they make a big deal of Mr. Dalton. He donated five million dollars, and he's done nothing but help the people. You know, you people, and you know, but. What happens? Like, well, he donated a lot of ping pong tables. He he just donated a dozen ping pong like, tables. Yeah, but what the fuck good does that really do? Is like, does that actually solve the problem? No. I mean, that's an inconsequential amount of money to him. He's like, I'm doing great things, and I got one to go to college, and now he's a real person. But there, and they asked him like, Have you ever hired one to work in your, you know? In your properties, like you, you own half of Chicago. You ever hire one? It's like no, no, I've never done that because it's always just they're just the help. And as you know, he's better off. He's better about black folks than you know the fucking state's attorney and most of Chicago and the earth at this point. But he still sees them as some, you know, oh they need help, but they're not really like us. But they're not equals. No. Nate said it well. Paternalistic was the yeah, hundred percent. Well, also he said um, capitalism. Uh, they were they were capitalism, but communism because Richard Wright was a communist. He was an actual communist, at least for a time. Uh, yeah, I think he became disillusioned with it later in his life. Well, you know, it's it's kind he of he didn't a live downer. very long. He, he made it to like he made it to like fifty two mm-hmm. or something. Like that he died at. Uh, and so communism is cold and analytical but fallible in the person of Max, his lawyer, who is the most well-meaning person in the story, but just can't fix things. I guess like communism, I don't know. And, but also genial and susceptible in the figure of Jan Erlone, whose naivete and paternalism helped to participate, to help to precipitate the tragedy. So he means well, but he's a fucking idiot. And he's just making things worse. And it's, you know, let's get him drunk and drive around town and, you know, everything will be fine. Ha, 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 ha. We're all equals. They're like, no, you're not. That's the problem. You can't. Bad things happen. So about, like, 
just to offer a counter argument. I mean, this is what I read in the introduction that said that this is what they no, are. No, I'm not. I, 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 don't know. I, I know what you're saying. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not necessarily even arguing my own opinion. I'm just saying, just to, for the sake of conversation, Mr. Dalton, the rich guy who does what we would look at and say, those are misguided and shitty attempts to help black people. Would it be better if he did nothing? Is that the message? No, is I don't, it, the I message don't think like, it's hey, better that he doesn't The white nothing. guy who's giving money, and it, and but he's not giving the right money. He's not giving the right... Should he give nothing then? I mean, well, he's doing the, something. This is the argument over the gospel of wealth by uh, Andrew Carnegie. Is that Joel Osteen? Oh, no. Okay. That's a slightly different <laughs> That's thing. It's a different gospel of wealth. Andrew Carnegie, you know, who was old at the beginning of the 1900s, but had built literally like the biggest corporation in the history of the world besides Standard Oil, like he was basically number two. But anyway, wrote this whole essay that says, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, sp- I'm spending all my money on like libraries for the poor. You know, I'm, I'm giving away all my money and blah, blah, blah. And, and all this, fil- all this philanthropy I'm doing, aren't I good people? Aren't I, aren't I good people? But the problem is he's also, he was also the union buster and he, you know, paying abs, almost nothing to his workers and, you know, sending in the Pinkertons, you know, detectives to literally beat, to beat and kill people when they tried to unionize and stuff like that. So Mr. Dalton owns, because he owns most of Chicago, not only does he own the tenement building that the, that bigger lives in, but they actually charge higher prices for these terrible, terrible apartments and will not rent to, will not rent the other apartments for the for the white people to anyone who isn't white, while charging them lower rates. Actually, this was the part where the, he goes to buy a loaf of bread, and he's like, "If I cross the line, the bread of loaf, the loaf of bread, bread of loaf, <laughs> the loaf of bread is twenty percent cheaper. If I just cross that line and go into white territory, the same bread is cheaper." But they won't sell but, it to me. But they won't sell it to me, so I have to buy it here, and we have to pay more. You know, and that's what. Mr. Dalton should do. He should not do all those things. So it's not that he shouldn't if he's a rich person and, and has money that he can give away. It's not that he shouldn't give it away, but the problem is way many steps before that. I, 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 I'm, not def- I'm not saying that Dalton's doing the right thing 100%, but he's, in his, he's doing better than the other people around him. Yes, but I think... So is a, he a bad as guy? A, as that's a metaphor, like, that's like, he's, he's, you know... He's doing what he thinks he's is misguided. right. And, and, if, and if Richard Wright was communist, this this character fits very much into you know he's he's super rich, but he made his his wealth by exploiting everybody else. But then the real question is, does he have the obligation to? No, but right? that's, that's like also the, the question. issue. That's a, that's that's America, right? Like that's like, that's capitalism. He is capitalism. Like, you don't have to give your money to anybody else. Like the guy, he gave five million dollars away. Like holy shit! In the nineteen thirties, that's an incredible sum of money that's like a, a, an eye-watering amount of zeros at the end of that like who could imagine that he gave it away now they spent it poorly perhaps they could have spent it better but he gave it away nonetheless so i'm not super familiar with the text to be able to call up quotes from it but did he choose to make these decisions, or was he ignorant? Is the the next question I have. I think because he comes across as basically just like a out of touch. Like I gave them ping pong sure. tables, and 
what else do they need? Like, it doesn't even occur to which, him. Which young boy doesn't want a ping yeah, pong table? it doesn't even occur to him that but, he's like... But when Bigger's in the jail cell, and, and there's like this scene where like everybody and their mother in the book shows up at the jail cell. Oh, there's a paragraph about that too. And um, everybody's there. Like, how big is this fucking jail cell? It has Max, and has Jan, it has the Daltons, it has the, the court attorney guy, it has Bigger's entire family. And uh, Richard Wright wrote about that like that whole paragraph, he says, I know, he says, I unlikely, it's unlikely that some people would ever be allowed to come in a certain murder cell, but I wanted those people in that cell to elicit a certain res- important emotional response from Bigger. And so the scene stood. I felt that it was what I wanted that scene to say to the reader was more important than its surface reality or possibility. Like he's just saying, this is what I wanted to happen. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. I'm willing to go yeah, along with that. It's yeah. fine. I'm like, it's the 1940s. Like, who the fuck weird, knows? Like, that was the one paragraph I remember. Know? Writing about, reading about. But uh, Bigger's mom goes to Mr. Dalton. She's like, oh my God, please spare my son. Please help him. You're a parent. I'm a parent. Please. And then they're like, no, we cannot do anything about it. And like, they want to kick us out of the home. And he's like, you will stay in that home. Don't worry about that. Where he will continue to exploit them. Well, sure, but he's not exploiting them quite. He's not mistreating them as badly as he could have, right? Well, what was he supposed to do? Well, like, he, charges them, he charges them more than he charges white folks in the other neighborhood. Sure, and that's and wrong, of course. And he takes care of the buildings much less. No, I'm not defending any so, of that. But the, but the fact that he's like, all right, yes, I will help you, even though your fucking son murdered Well, it's kid. also just like the ping pong tables. He's doing something good. He's not fixing the problem. He's not even. A t- he's not really making a significant. He help. is the cause of the problem. He's part of the cause of the problem. He's absolutely a symptom that causes all this, and he's as capitalism. I said that in air quotes, which no one on a podcast can see. Is very much the system that creates this to a certain extent, and is a huge part of it. And and though he's saying he means well in his certain ways, but when things go wrong, fuck it. It's not my problem. Is it his job to fix the problem? It's not, and that's that's what that's it capitalism. is. Capitalism. That's the point. I mean, maybe there's certainly. I, I don't necessarily agree 100 percent with it because I'm not a communist. But Richard Wright was a communist, and I mean, so it's going to be that. He has the power to fix the problem, but he chooses not to. He doesn't have the moral obligation yeah, to, I'm, or the legal I'm sure obligation there's a to. significant metaphor with his wife being blind liberalism, like. She can't see the problem, but she's just like, whatever happens, we're going to do our best, but I'm not going to see what we're doing. It's maybe, it's not that direct or, you know, simple a metaphor, but I can't see else what, That's I can't see what else it would be like she can't. No, I didn't actually think, I, I, I kind of just assumed the whole time that her blindness was just a uh, vehicle for that scene at the end of I'm sure it, it also was, but it, if she's a metaphor for liberalism, which is, not the liberalism we have today. It's more of a kind of a laissez-faire liberalism or classical liberal, if you will. She's there. She's like, oh, but we do so much good. We educated one. And she's not really seeing what the fuck is actually happening. She just like lives in a world where this is what it is. And we're going to do what we're going to do. And they're going to do what they're going to do. And this is, this is all we can do. I'm not going to try to make things better because as you said, I don't have to because that's the system is you don't have to. And that's part of the problem. Whether or not someone agrees or disagrees with that, that is what Richard Wright was saying. 
as right. like, I imagine yeah. most communists would. Oh, I understand that. So for the book, I mean, we could argue about this or like try to figure it out. I don't know how much further more clarity we're going to shed. I think we figured it 95% out. That's a fucking A. I'll take that. I usually shoot for a B. So there we go. I I think ultimately I did not enjoy reading this book at I'm all. I'm not sure you're supposed it to was, enjoy it. I think you're not supposed to enjoy well, it. Well, right. Sure. That's totally right. And I think I said this at some point in the past. It's it's kind of like like you you would never say my favorite movie is Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> like if you said that you're a fucking monster, right? Like this is not a book you're supposed to like. I think there's a difference between appreciating the artistry or something with and 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 enjoying it. Right, I could like I could there are there are some really interesting passages. It's very well written, but it was just fatiguing to read. There's there's like the middle sort of half of the book or basically from when he kills Mary to when he gets arrested is just for me it was just intense. Yeah, it's stressful. Uh fucking swamp ass. <laughs> just like it was it was terrible to endure that. And then the last third fucking really went on way too long. And the first third went on way too long. It was I didn't it was I, a shit I sandwich. Think it, I think uh, the bread was shit. Well, stressful. It was shit. a sandwich made on, on a shit hero. That's what it was. And bigger is a shit hero. Oh. We figured it out. <laughs> there it. it is. Inception. I don't know. What do you think, Nate? I thought the middle at first was pretty boring. And then the middle part, I was, I was like, holy shit. This was, I was interested in reading that part. But then yeah, I was not interested when we got to the last section. So, so two thirds of it, not, not great. Middle third, at least I, you know, wanted to know what happened. I read uh, James. I read the James, I read Baldwin, the James essay? Bond, Baldwin essay that was mentioned at some point about it because James Baldwin didn't really love this book, and he shit it on. He hated yeah, it. He, he was really he, critical of it. I read the essay. It's actually not mentioned very much. The essay is mostly about um, Uncle Tom's Cabin, um, but he tags this thing at the end. But he wrote this paragraph. That this notwithstanding, that the avowed aim of the American protest novel is to bring greater freedom to the oppressed. They are forgiven on the strength of these good intentions, whatever violence they do to language, whatever excessive demands they make of credibility. It is, indeed, considered the sign of a frivolity so intense as to approach decadence to suggest that these books are both badly written and wildly improbable. One is told to put things first, the good of society coming before niceties of style or characterization. Even this is even if these were incontestable, for what exactly is the good of society? It argues on an insuperable confusion, since literature and sociology are not one and the same. It is impossible to discuss them as if they were. Our passion for categorization, life neatly fitted into pegs, has led to an unforeseen paradoxical distress, confusion, a breakdown of meaning. Those categories which were meant to define and control the world for us have boomeranged us into chaos in which limbo we whirl, clutching the straws of our definitions. The protest novel, so far from being disturbing, is an accepted and comforting aspect of the human scene, of the American scene, ramifying that framework we believe to be so necessary. Whatever unsettling questions are raised are evanescent, titillating, remote. For this has nothing to do with us. It is safely ensconced in the social arena where, indeed, it has nothing to do with anyone, so that finally we receive a very definite thrill of virtue from the fact that we are reading such a book at all. 
This report from the pit reassures us of its reality and its darkness and of our own salvation. And as long as such books are being published, an American liberal once said to me, everything will be all right. It's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I had to read um, this essay three or four times to really figure it out because he uses a lot of big words. Uh, much smarter man than me. But like insuperable? Yeah, I, I had to look up I had to, I had to look up a lot of the words he used. Insuperable means you can't beat it. You can't overcome yeah. it. So I was like, oh. like super means above. Like a suplex. So you can't go above it. Undertaker. Uh, but basically he's saying these books aren't great. But does that outweigh, is it outweighed by the fact that they are good for society? But does that matter? Because what does that mean? Who the fuck cares if you write a good book or a social, socially progressive book and someone just says, wow, the fact that the, we are, these books are being written is really doing a lot. But if they don't do anything about that, who the fuck cares? Is it just a cop-out? Is it a way to say the art is the movement? We're making progress. Well, I think artists would, would tell them, themselves that. <laughs> they absolutely would. And they do often. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure where the social good from this is still. Is it just to say, like, the situation will make people do terrible things? Uh, I, I'm I don't sh- know. I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm naive to think that that needed to be said, but it probably did. And I mean, it, it, it must have. I mean, we're reading it in 2020. Yeah. Or 2021 yeah. when this episode comes out. I think any book about civil rights that came out in 1940 and people actually read, even if it wasn't perfect, makes it an important book. So, Hmm. but I guess James Baldwin's point, if I understand, is like, even if it's badly written, is it still worth it? And I would say probably yes, because my general feeling is that most people are kind of ignorant about the world that they don't, about the, you know, ignorant about life outside of the seven people that they talk to. And it could definitely stand to learn something new about people who aren't like them. So I would say, yeah, sure. It is definitely not a perfect book. Are people like that likely to read a book like this? Well, people clearly did. It sold, I was just looking on the Wikipedia page, it sold 250,000 copies in the first three weeks, which was a huge, huge giant seller. And, you know, I don't know how many it's sold since then, but it has to be a lot. It has to be a huge amount. Throughout the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, this was an important book. It was. It still is an important book. It might not be perfect, but who should read it? I would say if you want to read a book about civil rights, read Mockingbird. Just just read that one. The problem with that is that Mockingbird's not written by a black person. Also true. Well, we've got two other books. Got a month to go. One week is going to be a romance book. So, <laughs> one week is going to be a romance book. Yeah, one week, one week is going to be a romance book. So, we're doing three... For Valentine's three, Day. Yeah, for Black, for, for Valentine's Day, because, you know, we're saps. And because those episodes sell and we're hoarse. Uh, but... So, I guess we're siding with the capitalists. Yeah. So, the other two we're going to do, you know, because you'll see this online, because we post things ahead of time now, are Go Tell on the Mountain by James Baldwin and Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which is supposed to be one of the best, easily. Uh, I don't know much about Go Tell the Mountain, but James Baldwin's supposed to be also very good. So, But they're also later than this book, I think. I don't remember when that was. Yeah, James Baldwin's kind of like a half a generation yeah. later. I pretended to read Go Tell It on the Mountain in high school, 
And uh, I'm sure it'll be a different experience. That I mean, all of these oh. books, are like from this era or from this, like about this scene, are probably not for high schoolers. It's probably a lot to take no. in for high schoolers, and not just because of like the rape murder, but just the social commentary and all that shit. I mean, you get you get like a a passing glance at it, like a superficial level, but it's 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 a lot for a kid. Especially a kid who's not interested in going to school and wants or to just you know, jerk off <laughs> whatever I was in a movie theater until <laughs> this moment. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a four D. I only have one D. Uh, so, uh, well, we'll get to those. But in the meantime, I guess tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you haven't already, head over to uh, wherever you're listening and leave us a review. Just round up to five stars. One's for every 200 times they say the N-word in this book. And that will get you to about five stars. That would really help us out. And go to Patreon. Or you can give us money so we can keep doing this and drinking our way through books that we will talk to you about. And also... Follow us on Goodreads, each of us. You can find out what we like. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks.